So let me get this straight. Ferrari wins their first Le Mans in nearly 60 years. How do I make this about Charles Leclerc? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. You didn't just pick the low-hanging fruit. You picked the fruit that's on the ground, rotting, being eaten by wasps. You're welcome, Internet. Well, hi, guys. I'm Dre Harrison, your friendly neighborhood. Welcome to episode 448 of Motorsport 101. And, well, I can't quite believe I'm introducing this, but uh, welcome to the 2023 24 Hours of Le Mans special edition of Motorsport 101. And... I'm not going to lie to you, listeners. I'm finding it really, really hard not to be smug amongst my colleagues at the moment. Dre, why are you smug? In quite possibly the greatest prediction moment in the history of Motorsport 101, (laughs) your man's called the number 51 Ferrari 499 to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans and he got it. <laughs> we got him. We fucking got him. Oh, I, I could not. This is a proud day on Motorsport 101. Not only did, I, did a prediction of mine actually land. Not only did I, did I once follow my heart and it actually came through, which never happens on this show. Normally, I spend 15 minutes ranting about how shit Ferrari have been. This, this is my moment. I am so happy. I was so happy for him and delighted for Ferrari. And of course, so many stories to tell, so many moments to talk about. And it was, and look, this is coming from a guy that watched about 20 hours of this thing. Um, Never have I paid much attention, as much attention to a Le Mans as I have here. This was a wonderful, wonderful race. It really, really was. And with me to talk about it for the next hour or so, the man who's still in London as we speak, um, the man who also had watched at least 20 hours of this race, but also had to cover it as a professional journo, the mad lad. It's RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. You saw as much of this as I did, and that's crazy to me, because I can remember saying, like, I'm watching endurance racing if it's on, but I won't go out of my way to watch it. And, like... I think anybody who followed this race will remember where they were when they saw what happened. This is this is big for the sport. And you're not alone in thinking that this is one of the best 24 hours of Le Mans living memory because I was seated with people who've been in this industry for 15, 10, 15, 20, 30 plus years. And even they said so. Mm. Mm. It's a pretty good sign. And uh, and I think another person that will easily back you up on that is Cam Buckley, who's also with us. Hello, Cam. How's it going? Hi. Uh, You know, it's finally complete. We have held Dre down (laughs) under the sports car water for long enough. (laughs) And he uh, uncle, actually, uncle, <laughs> and it, it's we were due a good twenty four hours of Le Mans. It's been a hot minute. Mm. Um, it's been a hot minute. There's discussions as to how we got here, how we're gonna go from here. Um, 
And of course, one of the best 24 hours of Le Mans in recent memory, and I was working for the first half of it. Oh. So I missed a lot of the madness um, in the afternoon of the first day going into night because it was crazy. The the only four hours I didn't have at least in like the background was a four hour call I I I, I had with with my partner and it was just like the four hours that I was gone, all hell broke loose. You know how during- crazy it was. You know how much hell broke loose. I get out of work. I'm looking down at my phone and I'm seeing. The number 94 Peugeot 9X8 leading the race. <laughs> and I Outright, think the, on merit, the, on merit, on pace, pulling away. And everyone, I think the entire endurance racing collective just, wait, what? You know what this is like? This is like when in the 2002 Royal Rumble, when The Undertaker has cleared house only to be eliminated by tough enough winner Maven. Oh, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> an Undertaker gives Maven the most sickening chair shot you will ever see in your life out of pure petty rage. <laughs> the joke I made during the actual race itself was that it's like the episode of Top Gear when they have to race across London in all the different forms of transport, and Top Gear was ruined because the car came last. That's what this <laughs> felt like having Peugeot winning. Like, like we joked on the preview about they were basically the walking version of the man meme man. going into this race, and and Peugeot didn't have anywhere near pound for pound the worst Le Mans of all the hypercar class out there. Not even close. They were genuine, and and we'll get into into a lot of that over the course of the next hour or so. But, of course, we'll talk a lot about Ferrari's win, the final chase down towards the end, which is all over the place, what it means for sports car racing, um, the BOP that got us to this point, which absolutely understandably drew some ire from people within the sport. Um, we got to talk about Garage 56. My gosh, that was a spectacle and a half. Um, I believe Freebird is still playing around the streets of Le Mans as we speak. Those are alive with the sound of free bird and exploded gearboxes. You love to hear it. You love to see it and hear it. And a bunch of other standout stories, which we'll get to over the course of this lengthy special here. Um, I won't even go into the full social media outreach on this one because one, I'm just wasting valuable time. And two, we'll get to that at the end. But what I will say before we get going is if you wanted to hear more thoughts on me as to what this Lamont was like, I did write a pretty meaningful piece about it on the website motorsport101.com in the blog section you're, you're gonna have to trust me for the first third of it because i make mention of david beckham virat Kohli, and test match cricket but stick with me you'll see why when you read it I, you just got you just got to trust me on this one okay um but you know, i was very proud of that and thank you to all the kind words and responses in, in regards to that because uh, i didn't think it would have anywhere near the impact that it did apparently a lot of people found that very relatable as a guy that finally clicked with what lamon and what endurance racing yeah. and what it, what it can be at, the, at its very oh, yeah. best yeah absolutely 
I, I also want to thank everybody that noticed me putting in subtle nods to Gran Turismo 3 flavor test and my in my headlines when I was doing hourly reports for dailysportscar.com. Time extender were all over that, weren't they? They, they absolutely loved that shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Oh, yeah. Like, that is a man who knows a reference. And uh, shout out to them. Shout out to everyone that was watching along with RJ's coverage as well. Uh, much appreciated. Shout out to all the WTF1 guys as well that joined along because uh, we were pushing to get some uh, Le Mans coverage out there. We don't normally cover you know, sports cars over there, but uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to my editor-in-chief, Ben Anderson, for letting us do that. And it did really, really well. So thanks to everyone that, that hopped on over. We do really appreciate it um, over there. So without any further ado... Let's get into the 2023, the 100th centenary running of the 24 Hours of the Morn. You know what's crazy? We're going to have the actual 100th running here soon. This is the centenary, the 100th anniversary of the first year, and they've been pushing the 100 years thing. And then we're going to have the actual 100th running as they should be like, oh, we're going to get to do this all over again. Just, 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 just recycle that hundredth trophy. It's fine. Gee, no one I the wonder. Difference. I wonder why we didn't have a whole hundred of these since 1923. I can't imagine what happened. <sighs> Anyways, mm. um, anyway, no, you're not dreaming. The Hans is dead for a day. A the Hans is alive. The Hans <laughs> is more alive than it's been for the last 15 years. I thought about the bad juju. The bad. The Hans is dead for a day. A Ferrari has won the 24 Hours of Le Mans outright for the first time since 1965. A year before England won the World Cup <laughs> was the last time Henry Ferrari Ford won the second is spinning in his grave. <laughs> the number 51 Ferrari 499P of Alessandro Pierre Guidi, James Collado, and yes, Italian Jesus Antonio Giovinazzi held off a late charge from the number eight Toyota of Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley, and Rio Hirakawa to score the first outright win for Ferrari at Le Mans since 65. Let's talk about that incredible finish first and foremost. What did you make of the closing hours? Because it, it really boiled down to, by the time we got to sunrise, gentlemen, and you know, the war zone had cleared, it had basically become a two-horse race at that point. Well, one yeah. horse and whatever... I guess Toyota has a bear mascot, a horse and bear race. There you go. A horse, a horse and a bear race. Um, yeah, it pretty much boiled down to a one v one between the fifty one Ferrari, which was delayed during the night with an off, and the number eight Toyota, which was delayed first with engine cooling problems, and then a squirrel. A squirrel hit the front of the number eight car. Yes, uh, or did. rather the eight hit the squirrel because all that was left of it, and the reason why they know that this, it was a squirrel is because they found the tail in the car's nose diffuser. Oh. Um, the world is one less Tifosi on this day. Oh. But uh, man, it's about damn time we got a good Lama because honestly, for the top class, there really we really haven't had a good one of these since 2016 because even 2017, last year of the P1Hs, was basically... <laughs> Just a, a wall of death coming for every P1H, every top class car. I wonder mm. if there was a major automotive emissions scandal that would have led to such an occurrence happening. 
Well, yeah, I mean, just look at Suzuki having to kill their MotoGP program. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, God, it's like we get a new emission scandal every every six months. Harley yeah. Davidson, yeah. ride free or die, baby. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, of course. Of course I had to work the first half of one of the best Lamar in recent memory. Imagine my surprise when I got out of work and I saw the Peugeot, who we did not give a hope in hell to on the preview episode. Um, it pretty much became a race of who could fuck up the least because I predicted this kind of months in advance. No one had a clean run in the top class. Nope. Even the cleanest runs, which you could probably say belong to the 51 Ferrari and the number two caddy, which actually completed the podium. Great result for the caddy, given the lack of straight line speed at the world's biggest power track. And it was also thirsty for oil. In true American fashion, they kept having to fill it up with oil. Because I'm honestly shocked the engine lasts because usually if you're burning that much oil, it means that the oil is blowing past your piston rings and your engine is going to destroy itself. And I love in the chat that Jason said, also, van wall on fire, tradition was kept. You can take the buy collars out of the name of the team, but you can't take the buy collars out of the car. They have not, not finished, finished a race since 2015, and they would have been disqualified and not classified. Well, they wouldn't have been classified had they not been disqualified because they didn't complete enough distance. If you go back to the last classified finish a Colin Cullors entered car, entered car had 2009, and they just decided, yeah, let's buy some old Audi R10s. <laughs> oh, the rain car the can fell off the pit wall and hurt his shoulder. Guess I got to give some more seat time to this German kid that's been doing well in Japan lately. And I'm sure huh, if he does well enough, Audi will take notice. And that's how we got Andre Lager. But Wait, do you have any finish? idea what you have to do to break an Audi R10? It's like handing it's like hand, handing someone a block of adamantium and they find a way to dent it. Let's talk about this finish. Um, but yeah. And, yeah. and really... It I mean, was more tense than it should have been. Right. Because with about a minute and a half lead as the Ferrari motored away from the Toyota, something that we will discuss in greater detail later, because, uh, man, there's a lot of discussion, and I am tired of the FIA and, I, and ACO opening themselves up to get shelled like this. Mm. And then the plot of the movie Lamar occurs. <laughs> where the 51 Ferrari in the clutch fails to start. And they lost about, what was it, 65 seconds? Yeah, about 65, 70 seconds, something like that. And actually ended up dropping behind the number eight Toyota for really about the next half of a stint. The 51 was able to get back around it. And then it was really just a game of pace. And yeah. for, for, for added context... Brendan Hartley had just done a quad, a quadruple stint um, in the car to, to get the number eight Toyota back in contention. Um, so he's handed the keys to Rio Hirakawa about 15 seconds down and net in terms of pace. And they told Rio, and I quote, all risk, maximum attack. Unleash the, unleash the dogs of war and go after that Ferrari and go for broke. And it was working. Like, the gap was coming down. Toyota got it to, I think, within about eight or seven seconds. 
and then Hirakawa loses. For Arnage. You know, if you've ever done Arnage on a sim, it is a very deceptive corner. Mm. It doesn't look like much, but that that track just has no grip there. And he got a tank slapper on the brakes and just smashed the front of the car into the guardrail. Because these cars are all pretty much built like tanks now, they were able to get it fixed pretty much immediately, but the damage was done. Um, and even though Ferrari had another uh, failure to start and a power cycle in the pit lane, it ended up coming to nothing. Uh, that was about it. I mean, the other classes, the uh, 34 Inter-Europol car, Against the super teams in LMP2. I mean, up against WRT, who are going to be yeah. running the factory BMWs next year. Mm. Yeah, they pretty much led from halfway and never looked back. I want. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for my for my story of the, the of my other story of the race because there is a lot to talk about in that mm. entry and, as well. And before yes. I hand the mic over to the man who wrote a short form essay in our set list, <laughs> love that. There's something. Very fitting that in 2011, Corvette Racing took home the first GTE class win at Le Mans. And this year, in the final outing for the true factory Corvette Racing, um, the car is Ben Keating's. The drivers are not the traditional Corvette crew, but it was run by the factory. And in their last appearance, they take home the honors in GT. The last GTE race, and it's all Corvette racing. It's their ninth class win at Le Mans since they first showed it's up. It's been a in the hot minute, two. too. 2015 being their last win. The, the sole car, the 64 car after the 63, was lost earlier in the week. It has been mm. a long time coming. To mm. put this in a concept, Stray, those nine wins span four different generations and four different classes of gt racing it's quite crazy yeah so it's a, it's a dynasty really just being a perennial force in, in in gt racing i mean but i mean rj i know you wanted to go into detail about this but just what do you think it means having ferrari winning le mans um this is the story of the race uh, this is, I mean, yeah, this is what this means for the entirety of motorsport. Ferrari wins Le Mans. That is a headline that is going to make news, not just in the specialist media, like where I work, like a sports car 365 or racer magazine or what have you. Le Mans made front page news on the BBC Sportway site in a way that had never really been before. Nope. Even by way of honorary Sparta LeBron James giving the command to start engines in French, SportsCenter got in on it a little. This is Ferrari. This is the most powerful automotive brand in the world. And the first time I'm asking, 50 years after they last entered, they won the biggest endurance racing brand in the world. I'll tell you what, if the 499P never accomplishes anything else while it's still racing, that 51 car is going to live forever because it won this race. Not just the 24 hours of Mans, not just the centenary of 24 hours of Mans, but this one of the best Le Mans ever in front of 325,000 people. And trust me, 
When you look at the grandstands, the fields, particularly at the start of the race, it sure looked felt like three hundred twenty-five thousand people in the house. Trey, so it was a mad scene. Oh my god! I wanted to meet friend of the show Josh Wilcock uh, after the warm-up, but the problem mm. was there were just too many people trying to cross the the street to get across to the Dunlop Bridge. I can imagine. I, I mean, I, it made it hard for me to like meet with people on the track. This is huge. This result may have sold out next month's six hours of Monza. That's how big this is. The World Endurance Championship's official YouTube channel gave 5 million subs on Friday alone. What? <laughs> 5 million subs. From, they went from just under 40, 50 million to just under 55 million. All from this result. You will remember where you were when Ferrari won this race for the first time in 58 years. And I have a reputation on daily sports cars being someone that focuses more on the people. So I want to talk about the people who are at the wheel of this beautiful car that took turns driving against the victory. I think we all know Antonio Giovinazzi. That's Italian Jesus. That's the man who spent four parts, parts of four seasons at Alfa Romeo and Sauber. And unfortunately, never really amounted to much. Andre, I got to hand it to you. Until you mention it in your piece on the blog, I had completely forgotten that he had driven for a full season in Formula E. And that happened last year. Yeah, last year and the depths of despair for the artists formerly known as Dragon Racing. <laughs> That's how forgettable Who were just the, the factory of suffering. Yeah, they were the worst, and I have it on pretty good record from people in the know that Gio's car was pretty much broken the entire season. <laughs> yeah, uh, which sounds about right. I forgot all about that. But then when I think about how Giovinazzi never amounted to much in Formula One, I think of how before then, do you remember when he moved up to GP2? Because he was kind of a slow developer in European F3, came out of... He just stepped out of a series in China up to European F3. And when he got to GP2, he was never really regarded as like one of the out-and-out top talents in the field. Mm. He only got the chance to step up because his good friend Sean Galeel convinced his family to give Antonio Giovinazzi another family-sized bucket of KFC money to help give him sponsorship and sign with Prima that year. And then... It really kicked off when he swept the weekend in Baku, something that hadn't happened in many years in that series. And mm. he took Pierre Gasly, his teammate, the presumptive title favorite from the start of the year, all the way to a wire in a championship battle between two teammates where Gasly only won it by eight points. That was the year where I really thought this kid could be very, very special. And I'm sad that it never worked out. Me too. Joe Geo, probably from endurance racing people, not thought of as like the quick guy in the car, but he drove a fault-free setup since. Our friends at the B Pillar said he was the second fastest driver on average in the entire hypercar field behind only Antonio Fuoco, who had set the pole and was pretty much going for glory after his car was eliminated from contention after a leak in the brake system, which is about one of the worst places you want to have a brake, <laughs> a leak in the car. Yeah, uh, as we said on the uh, preview here, if anything's going to fail on my car at Le Mans, please, not the brakes. Mm -mm. When Giovinazzi won this race, it reminded me of his time at GP2. 
it reminded me of the driver that should have had the opportunity and the skill to succeed in Formula One. But just like someone else that we'll mention in a few, that failure doesn't define anymore. He's a Le Mans 24, he's a 24 hours of Le Mans winner, and that's his forever. Now, when I think of Ferrari, when I when they announced this project after years of us joking, huh, Ferrari coming back to the top class of sports car racing, that'll never happen. But once they did announce it, I think a lot of people, want, when they wanted to th- say, like, who's going to drive this hypercar? And when they put together their fantasy rosters, it looked like a lot. It looked like a cast of recent Ferrari-affiliated single-seater racers like Giovinazzi. But as they were going for, like, guys like, ah, oh, Kalamila, surely, Marcus Armstrong, Robert Schwartzman. Who else has driven? Kimi Raikkonen. I think they really anyone over- anyone Ferrari affiliated practically for the last five years, but in doing so, they really overlooked a good crop of GT drivers that have been shopping at the bit and working for a chance like this, and that includes James Collado, British guy. Now, you ask any journal in the paddock, and I did not know this that. Colado could be about as prickly as a cactus covered in knives, <laughs> but he is a fantastic and quick driver. Like Giovinazzi, he he's had been his a time. staple. Our day, you know, you and I both know he's been yeah. a staple of AF Course's GTE program pretty much since pretty much since the four eight eight came around in twenty sixteen. Yeah, I, it goes back even further because yeah. when he was tearing it up in GP two. Like he was giving much more experienced drivers a bloody nose. And that was a big thing because in that early 2010s period in GP2, experience really, really, really mattered. Mm-hmm. But, and Collado was quick enough to get interest as a test driver, a third driver, but never got a race seat. So he decided, I'm going to go on a different path. I'm going to sign with Ferrari as a factory GT driver. And he achieved so much over that course of time that Ferrari had no choice but to put him in the oh, 499p with all the skill sets they had he checks pretty much every box that he want from a driver and remember this is a driver who looked like someone who was pressing too hard he was making silly mistakes in the test in the preseason test at Sebring that crashed a car well this time he was pretty much fault free yeah, I mean he is, he has been a just a veritable Swiss Army knife of an endurance driver pretty much since he arrived in the WEC and um always stuck always stuck with Ferrari always stuck with AF Corsa and when they chose to go to the top class and use AF Corsa as the governing team of this program uh, he was the natural choice. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was about damn time he got his flowers because. <laughs> I mean, as as a fan of the guy of the other guys in GTE up to this point, it's been a bit of a thorn in our side for a long time. But <laughs> he he is a great driver, and again, echoing what you said about Geo, the twenty four hours of Le Mans does not forget. It is That's a piece right. of the triple crown for a reason. When you yeah. win this race, you enter immortality. Dude, it's crazy that people are putting out headlines. It's like, is James Collado Ferrari's best British driver since Nigel Mansell? 
The answer is yes. <laughs> we're just we're just out here forgetting Eddie Irvine was everything. But and also one more thing on Colado, just like Antonio Giovinazzi had one season of Formula E that everybody forgets. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, more or less. And then there's Alessandro Pierguidi, the glue guy that puts it all together. And I tell you, Dre, if you don't know a lot about his story, this man has paid his dues mm. twice over in all forms of GT racing. In Italy, Spain, Brazil, Asia, he raced in SROs, GT World Challenge, and everything from Maserati MC12s, GT3s, and GT4s. I remember it was 2014, the first race of the new and unified IMSA. And that was his breakthrough because he won the GT Daytona class because of the many, many unscrupulous things that Scott Tucker did to build a racing empire. He did make some good decisions and giving Alessandro Pierre Guidi a chance. The driving talent was never the problem with level five motorsport. Uh, Let's leave leave that to everything else about the program. Oh, man. It was was very big. It feels like. It feels like that could be uh it feels like some of the things they did could be a well there's your problem episode. <laughs> Very um so. but I wanted to, to bring the that Oldsmobile up diesel. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because that was kind of his big break in like big time endurance racing. People probably hadn't heard of this dude, but but now he just won the Daytona twenty four hours and then you just kept plugging away at in GT World Challenge and then in twenty seventeen, Pierre Guidi gets a full factory contract with Ferrari. And all he's done, most of it in tandem, if not all of it with James Collado, by the way, three world titles in GT Pro, won his class at Le Mans twice, spot 24 hours on top of that. And by the way, lest you forget, think this guy's only a GT specialist. He spent two weekends as A1GP Team Italy's driver (laughs) and then drove the entire Super League formula season not super formula, super league formula. For those of you who don't know, this was a this was like this weird thing of just like we're going to have a single seater series where all the teams represent different European soccer clubs, and Alessandro Pierguidi represented Turkish Super League side Galatasaray for two thousand eight. If you want to know, <laughs> know just the the consistency that these two because they have been paired together pretty much forever. Um, since 2019, the Collado Pierre Guidi pairing in class has never finished lower than second <laughs> at the 24 hours of Le Mans. What you have to go back to 2018 where they had a uh, car trouble to get a seventh place, which still ain't too bad in class. Oh, no, no, uh, that's 2019, uh, 2019 onwards, first, second, first, second, first, Nuts. not bad. Not bad at all. To me, Pierre Guidi was, he was the protagonist of this race because on on Saturday evening after nightfall in the wet, we just had this buckets and buckets of rain blasting over parts of the circuit. Porsche curves were basically underwater at this point, but... The rain Can we give of... a shout out while we're doing this? Can we give a shout out to the three Cadillac, which was just the magnet for all things pain and endurance racing? Because I think they they got rear ended yep. twice. Yep. 
and they went flying off in the rain a couple once at the Porsche curves for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I saw that. That poor car. <laughs> death death um, by a thousand cuts. It, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, that that Porsche curves clip is like, oh, the GT7 AI is realistic in the rain. <laughs> Dude, I don't. Uh, yo, looking back on it though. Lilu Wadu was very, very lucky that that her skidding off the road in an escape road didn't end much worse for her. She had hard enough to trip the medical light on the car, but, you know, thank goodness she's all right. We had a couple actually really nasty incidents during the race. Thankfully, everyone, okay. Um, We know what kind of speeds and forces are involved at this racetrack. It is one of the fastest racetracks on planet Earth. Um. Shout out to, and I cannot believe I am saying this, Scuderia Cameron Glickenhouse for having both cars crash multiple times <laughs> and still roll home with both cars in the top seven in hypercar. G- Jim Glickenhouse beat Porsche straight up. <laughs> well, maybe, just Cam, maybe. Cam, I, I'm not, I, I, honestly, at this point, yes. Cam, I'm not sure you should ever be on another one of these podcasts ever again as the resident Porsche man. You might have to hang your entire branded shame here. Well, you know, to, 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 to very quickly unpack that, Porsche has had worse Lamas than this in the past decade, actually. Mm. Um, 2014 was kind of a mess. But two cars broke, two cars crashed. Yeah. It happens. You can't win them all. Uh, that said, even then, you could win another nine of these in a row, Dre, and you still only match Porsche's win count. So I'll take one. You'll take one. Ferrari will take one. I am James Hunt. I am Nico Rosberg. One is enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had... I'm just sad because the one that was looking really good during the race from the factory team was the one that popped a fuel pump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going into the night. The, one uh, you the picked five to win. car, numerous <laughs> problems. The six car, couple of tire problems, and then was in the fight for the podium, and Kevin Estra decided that he really liked the look of that wall over there. <laughs> yeah, which took, um, which look, took a lot of the heat, by the way, off of Yifei Ye, who had one of the most incredible uh, drives in the, in the Saturday evening portion, where he <laughs> legitimately drove the Hertz Team Jota Porsche to the front of the field, and then before the end of the hour, crashed it. And I oh, hated that for him. Yeah, was pushing too hard and just crashed at the Porsche cars on his in-lap. I am still... The, the visual of that car bit effectively getting broken in half and then just basically spinning and spinning back into the motion and driving away. Yeah. Like, he, he, the actual crash only cost the car, like, five seconds on track. It's the repairing <laughs> the entire back half of the car that was the problem. Yeah. Uh, cheeks um, are on show. It was, it's, the, it's the racing equivalent of shoving feet in the chat. Um, you can't do that. Um, not ideal. But, uh, yeah, eventually, they actually... We had a situation where this, this Le Mans was so attrition-heavy. I mean, it's probably the most attrition-heavy race in 2010, which just the pace just melted everyone's cars in 2010. That's mm. the distance record, of course. Um, teams, A bunch of teams were actually running out of spare bodywork. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Most of them boring. 
Yeah. 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 The Jota guys actually, uh, the, the 75 crew, when the car broke, they actually, um, the factory team handed over their spares. Um, the Peugeot team was fixing up, uh, was taking the nose off of one car and reliverying it for the other. So were, <laughs> um, so were Glickenhaus. Mm. Rough day um, out there, man. Th- th- this was. A, if if Lamar could be an everything bagel of everything that could happen this race, this was just about it. Yeah, we mm-hmm. didn't even mention like the the absolute attrition in LMP2, and my god, GTEM was a bloodbath. Yeah, of like twenty one like, starters. I was like, was it like two thirds of the field didn't make it out of GTE? Only only nine finishers out of twenty one starters, and I'm not Ugh. counting the Garage Fifty Six car in this. You know, we'll talk about the Garage 56 car later. Um, but GTE Am drivers, collectively, <laughs> slow zone means slow zone. <laughs> Prepare to sl- you're entering a zone where you're preparing to slow down. It means you should probably slow think down about and, slow. slow down and be prepared to stop. It does not mean ass pack Kamui Kobayashi. <laughs> It does not. It does not mean treat Sebastian Portes like he's your girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> come to, on, to, man. to borrow a to borrow a Parker Johnstone line from two thousand and one. Oh, yeah. that was bad. Um, oh. And uh, however bad I feel about my pick, RJ, stop picking the seven, please. It's please. It's, it's cursed. RJ, it's not happening again, big man. I'm sorry. Like, like even I know this. Like, like I, I love the seven. I love Coach K. I'm a huge Kamui Everyone guy. Everyone loves Coach. He's the only person from Toyota who we're smiling. We'll get to why later. <laughs> Dude, and he he deserves better than this. It's every. He's always in the car. Conweezy deserves in the better. Car when it happens, Conweezy deserves better than this. Jose Maria Lopez has been the punching bag. I don't even have for- any JML slander. He was actually real solid this race. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Tie it back to Pierre Guidi. I said he was the protagonist of this race because when it was wet and when it was dark out, he lost at the first Mulsanne chicane and he put in the gravel. And just like that, the Hans is back. Ferrari has the quickest car, and they've just blown it. But somehow, even when he spun off, he didn't lose a lap. Part of that's the quick work of the marshals that got him out of there in, in time. And then Pierre Guidi put his teammates back in a position to where they could keep driving forward and keep driving forward until they were back in contention to win it. This was the definition of a race where it almost... This year almost wasn't the 24-hour sprint that is so often, you know, that that term is so popularized really yeah. since 1999. The second half of it was this between was, two cars. This was survival. Yeah. A lot of this race was just trying to run cleaner than the other guys. They're, the one cardinal rule of Le Mans, stay out of the pits. Fuel, <laughs> tires, driver, go. Yeah. And... 100%. Despite the 51's problems, because Ferrari did not have a clean race with either car, mm-hmm. they had the cleanest race, and sometimes that's enough. I mean, yeah. God, I don't think anything will top 2017 or 2014 in that regard, because rebuilding your entire powertrain during the 24-hour race 
in the case of Audi multiple times back in 2014. No idea. Um, not ideal, but ideal enough to win the race. Ideal enough. Exactly. Ideal enough. Like, apart from that spin, apart from those two very, those cardiac arrest inducing two pit stops where the car would not fire, particularly the one where they the last this, one. Yeah. The last pit stop of the race, the car fails to start. The, you could hear the and murmurs everyone, of the Everyone at the track, the Ferrari faithful, all the other teams just go, there's no way. The French PA announcer is absolutely losing his mind. Everybody in the media center is pointing at the fucking screens, and they're just like, oh my god, no way this is happening again. And they were able to power cycle it and get life back into it. Wow. Um, incredibly. And that was, and that was, what, that was what, 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 15 minutes left? Yeah, it was the last Lesson. pit stop of the race because with, with the crash that Hirakawa had, it put Toyota so that they could, Ferrari would need one more stop to win. Yeah. But they had the margin to do it. They had the yeah. margin to do it and have the issue and still get home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. That was a top class at Le Mans. That was an LMP2 class at Le Mans and even a GT class at Le Mans. No kidding. Um, oh, all God. three classes had something to offer. Um, all three classes had real just knockdown drag out fights that we really haven't seen a lot in other motorsport this year besides maybe Formula E. Yeah. Um, and without crashing into one another like they always do in IndyCar these days. <laughs> Sorry, Zoe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> man. I mean, can we talk a little bit about how we got there to this point? Because yeah. almost. Oh, this is not going to. This is going to be an inflammatory conversation. Is what this is going to be. Almost every factory team at Le Mans top flight hypercar category had their chance to shine. Hell, we mentioned it earlier. Even Peugeot got to lead for several hours in the rain and was surprisingly competitive all the way through. What did you make of the last-minute balance of performance call? Okay. Oh. Now, this got me screamed at in our server the other night. Mm -hmm. So I am going to tread even less carefully than I did then. Oh, less carefully. Oh, good. Because fuck them. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. The BOP itself, I think, was pretty good. Yeah, it was not perfect, but it was for a first attempt. Very good. Maybe a teensy nerf to the Ferrari and a little buff to the Peugeot. And I think you can run with this BOT BOP table pretty much forward for the rest of the season. Which yeah. is funny um, well, because that was the plan going all along. The initial plan from the FIA and the ACO was we're going to have one BOP setting for the first half of the season through Le Mans and then one, yep. half for, one for the second half of the season. So it was a big surprise when the and FIA... And lies the problem. Did it make this a better race? Absolutely it did. And anyone who would tell you different is out of their minds. This yep. made it a much better race even if... One team that would probably have run away with it otherwise ended up not and ended up being nerfed, I'd say, like half a percentage too far. But this is what we're back to, aren't we? Zero days. 
where the FIA bulldozes over its own rule book to create a more exciting race because they ratified it in their regulations that the BOP was the BOP. It would not change until after Lamar. And they set this BOP after the first test. And it was clear from, from Sabring that the BOP was not correct. Not only between, um, not only between the different LMHs, but also the LMH to LMDH, because the Porsche and the Caddy are fairly evenly matched. Yeah, but spent the most of the WEC season up to this point, kind of in a chasm between the front-running hypercars and then everyone behind them. Yeah. Unilateral performance changes are a very dangerous road to go down. Just ask Cart about that in, from 2001 and the pop-off valve controversy, which mm. killed the series for all intents and purposes. And while I think that it was for the good of the race, and I'm happy they made it, the FIA and ACO should have never put themselves in this situation to begin with. Right. Yeah. It and was a stupid decision to set the BOP after Sabring and set it in stone. But then you've made that commitment to the people in your series that this is not going to change. And they're going to base all their pre-race preparation around that. Absolutely. Yeah. And to change that a week before the race... It's bullshit. After after all that pre-race preparation is done, all of your sim work, all of your uh, testing in the real world and in the sim. Toyota did not lose because of the BOP. No, they did not lose because of 37 extra kilograms. It was not the 1.2 or 2 second difference that other well, people within the team has said. Oh, it absolutely was. But then Ferrari got nerfed, too. They nerfed those two cars back towards the LMDHs. And it worked, for the most part. Yeah, It was, I think, absolutely worth that amount of time. But the other car that was fighting up with it in WEC also got nerfed, to a lesser extent. Uh, 37 kilos on the Toyota. What was it? 22 or 24 21. on the Ferrari? 21 kilos on the 21 Ferrari. 21 kilos on the Ferrari. Um. And the rumblings that have been coming out of Toyota since the race make me very, very nervous. It's it's not rumblings. Like a lot of the stat, a lot of the head people at TGR Europe that ran this program, were, mm -hmm. were they were not happy. Like the drivers, the most of the drivers said they. Mr. Toyota come. himself said it. Akio mm. Toyota said that we lost this race due to politics. I'm as I much as I think, love to. I don't think that's accurate. But they also announced something this week. They announced a new they hydrogen car. They announced their hydrogen car because, you know, Le Mans loves the alternative fuels. Yeah. Right. Um, and they happened to put a big um, however at the end of their statement around this car that their continued their participation with that car, if indeed that does come to pass is going to depend on the stability of the rules. Oh. I, that's and a shot. That and that makes me very, very nervous. That's a shot. 
I think I, there are. I, I think the BOP was fine, but either write your rule book better mm-hmm. so that you can make adjustments earlier than this, and they're not a shock to the system a week before the biggest race of the season. Or just drop regulations that don't lock it in at all, and you can just update it in real time because it should have been updated after sabering. We could see the BOP was a mess. Then we could see it was, we watched Toyota in spa drop the hammer maybe three times during the race. And they had a second and a half a lap in hand when they wanted to dive into that well of speed. That's not sustainable, but neither is making unilateral decisions with your top class a week before the race. Yeah. What did you make of this, Mike? I want to, I want because like I've always taken a liking to Toyota's efforts and endurance racing. Really, I've never noticed on this show. <laughs> and I found the amount of time the higher ups spent blaming for blaming the balance of performance for their loss as like as if it was the only reason that they had come up short to be distasteful. And that seems out of it, even Accio Toyota himself going on the record about it was. It's un. It's very out of character and also very un-Japanese for him to lash out like that. And I that's, totally get that's why. why. That's why it's such a shock to the system that Toyota, who pretty, who took a lot of really awful equivalents and BOP on the chin for mm-hmm. a couple of years with the P1H when it was running basically against minnows. Yeah. They kind of just kept their head down and kept going to work whenever it would happen. I said after Sebring, um, and I thought it. I thought it was just that they were better prepared. But then Portimao and Spa happened, and it became clear that they needed to balance the books somehow. I know people and outside, balanced, were, and they should have balanced it then. In I a, truly a, believe that. I'd say after Portimao, anyone who didn't have alarm bells ringing about the BOP needed to open their eyes a bit. Yeah, but in a sick and Machiavellian sort of way, as you worked. mentioned, it worked. If you're a fan of Toyota. Hear me out here. Losing this race sucks because mm. it now feels like your favorite manufacturer can never win against Toyota real competition. All the haters, all the doubters, all the naysayers. Absolutely correct. Cam, get off your soapbox for two seconds. Let the man cook. Mm. But they didn't lose yeah. because they didn't lose the race because of 37 kilograms. We just talked about it. The Toyota 7 was genuinely unlucky to get hit from behind by two cars simultaneously at a prepare for slow zone junction while trying to avoid an accident in front of them. The number eight car had all manner of adversity thrown in front of it, including wildlife. And even after Hirokawa <laughs> crashed at Arnage, they almost won it anyway when the number 51 Ferrari needed to power cycle in the pits. Kind of, because the Ferrari had already had a worse power cycle earlier. Ferrari pulled a legitimate minute and a half gap on the Monara pace. Again, over the course of 24 hours, that sounds like a lot. It honestly really isn't. Over that amount of time, the BOP doesn't it, it, it doesn't explain all of that. No. And, um, gotta keep keep, and keep I, cooking. And, yeah, and you know, 
I overheard my boss, Graham Grimm, when he was also doing part of the World Feet commentary for on the official FIA World Endurance Championship app, which even he will admit was not working. I overheard him talking no. to someone who was adjust, who was upset about the adjustments and why they had happened. And Graham told him, look, Toyota's won for the past five years when there wasn't the sort of competition that we had today. And of course, you're, of course you've lost. You're not happy about it. But it just means that it will mean more when Toyota wins it the next time because Ferrari will have beaten them. It will mean more than if they just run over the field like they did all this past time. It's a bit like pro wrestling where if you have a hot baby face in the company with all the momentum behind him, you don't want him to just lose at WrestleMania to a heel champion that's been holding the belt for two and a half years. Hmm. Adrenaline (laughs) in my soul, every thought out of control. I do have to couch this with the obvious statement that you may not get another opportunity to win Le Mans. It's never a guarantee, of course. But I say that's the thing. I mean, we look at Ferrari. Ferrari will have thought in 1966, having just lost comprehensively to Ford, oh, we'll just get them back next year. And then when Ford got legislated out in a factory setting in, at the end of 67, I think, oh, well, we'll come back for 69 and we'll get them then. Well, then didn't come until last weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way to put it to a, a clearly reeling Toyota right now. Um, it feels I, – I, I get why – I get why they're salty. I also get why people feel like, you know, suck it up, boys. You lost. Get over it. To me, I just feel sick to my stomach that of all the people that that crash had to happen to, it's the one guy that I have been the biggest promoter and believer in because I have seen Rio Hirakawa in maximum tax situations pull the shit off and it worked he's been getting raked over the coals in the past week (laughs) since it happened and here's the deal so 24 hours of lamar yeah and if you need to go 10 tenths 11 tenths to go and try and win that race you're always going to be flirting you're always going to be flirting with fire you saw you go and do it yeah and we saw it with kevin estra i mean kevin estra bless his heart Basically, the six Porsche was pretty much stranded just off the lead lap for half of this race Mm. after losing two tires and just pushed his luck a little too far, lapping a P2, jumped the curb and destroyed the floor of his Porsche, basically the last Porsche in any contention. And that was it. Yeah, that happens. Um, Nature of the beast. Brendan Hartley yeah. was the one of the first people that stuck with him after the post race conference. He said, "You know, we we told him to go flat out, and he did. We trusted him to take on the most difficult portions of the race to do so." Yeah, and he was their fastest guy because he was the one who was tr- entrusted with the car to end the race with the drive time, and with the fact that he was their fastest driver for the yeah. most part in the it's closing all- stages because yeah. uh, Sebastian Buemi was. 
not fast in that car to finish the race. They, they told, yeah, they told Hirokawa, go for it. And given that their backs were against the wall and it was the only shot they had left, I cannot blame Toyota at all for that decision. It was absolutely the right thing to do. It just didn't work out. And that's the story for many, many people at Le Mans. And that's the story of this race. Like, you step out of line once, it can it can rip the race out from right underneath you. To blame Hirakawa for that is unbelievably harsh. Yeah. Unbelievably like, harsh. I know, I know, like, Blemmy and Hartley have more experience at this level. Way more experience at this level. But, like, I you also know, you know what it kind of felt like. Yeah. Because uh, I felt a lot of it in another server. It was the two other guys people know from F1 and they were in F1. So it was the not F1 guy who fucked it up for them. Yeah. And the, the, the not so recognizable name, even though Ria Hirakawa has been a monster of Japanese motorsport for a good half decade. He was a monster for this team last year. Right. Yeah. And, and he was, and he, and he came into last year being more of a passenger. He openly said he was leaning on Blemmy and Hartley to get himself acclimated within the group he wanted to be a difference maker in this race in his second year with the factory team i hate that it, but one thing i do know better things will happen and they will happen very soon because by the time this episode comes out we'll have a super formula race in sportsland sugo and he's going to be driving at it oh well, we can only hope to <sighs> sum this up wrap it up with a bow whatever this bop probably should have been where this class was at after Portimao. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Write better rules. That way you don't have to go in and break your own rules to put on an exciting race. Right. Shouldn't have to come to that. Better, better written rule book avoids this scenario entirely. It's classic bullying politics from, from the ACO. Toyota had every right to be pissed off. They took it remarkably well, in my opinion, by the time it was all said and done. And hell, Toyota still very nearly won this race anyway. And it would not have been a nice little fuck you to the ACO or not if they ended up winning that race in the end anyway. Because they no, had didn't. every chance of winning that. And they very nearly did. Yeah. And uh, in general, well, you remember why I came on this show in the first place. Fuck oh, the yeah. ACO and fuck the FIA. <laughs> <laughs> You've been willing uh, to say that for years, and you said we've we've come full circle. <laughs> I started. I practically started off my time on the show five years ago with "fuck the FIA and the ACO" for this, and here we are again. Time so is a flat changed. circle. Wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. We got to turn this around, though. We have to thank the ACO for one thing: mm -hmm. for letting Garage Fifty Six. Hang on. Before we get to that, yeah. <laughs> as another piece on the BOP story. Yeah. We have to give genuine props to the Peugeot team. Absolutely. For yeah. salvaging what was seemingly the laughing stock of this class from a manufacturer manufacturer perspective. Now they still they're so by tempers. the wayside laid on actually with steering rack problems. Of all the things to break on that car, the steering racks went. My steering rack, but, bro. My steering rack is so tight. <laughs> I'm un I'm unplugging my my internet router. Uh, um, <laughs> the '93 car had issues early on. The '94 car was genuinely leading this race until Menezes crashed it. 
Ugh. Like you can't talk about how Menezes crashed it without how talking about how Gustavo Menezes drove it to the front of the field. And it's he giveth and he taketh away. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing as well, if we get some rain this year, that car is going to be good because they, of course, have by regulations and the tires that they use the best all-wheel drive system of everyone. Mm. That car was a missile in the rain. Yeah, absolutely. It was the fastest car out there in wet conditions, yep. and that's worth something, yeah. without question. Oh, <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I am so glad that... I was food- so worried <laughs> during the night, because I rejoined the call, and the 94 was leading, and I'm talking to King, who was sitting in with us uh, watching the race, and we're all just thinking, there's no way. <laughs> because, first of all, all of us would have had to have all get our mans. <laughs> I still have to get my mans. I put my hand up. I understand. I'm pretty sure Danny Brennan would have had to delete his social media. Because <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Danny Brennan, was very open in his distaste for this car and the fact that he thinks <laughs> Peugeot should burn it all down and leave in shame. He'd be telling his partner <laughs> to please just choke him and put him out of his misery. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't. I don't know if any other human being can reach that high. Well, it's a, it's Maybe a Jokic. For those of you who don't know, Brendan is six foot six, a legitimate six foot six. Like he is a giant of a man. Um, I'm the I'm the tall guy on this podcast, and I to- he towers over me. It's fucking crazy. No, but, but uh, yeah, like they legit led this race for three and a half, four hours. Yeah, on merit, no questions asked. They just led, and they were brilliant. Fair play to them. They they yeah. they they put in a shift, and they, they, that was a that was more optimism in that camp than anything that's come before it. Before this hypercar entry was announced, and it's not even close. That's like, the first time that car has looked anything other than the worst car here by a mile. Yeah, extrapolated out to the resources and funding behind it, mm. and they showed up, and they ran. All things considered, even with the reliability issues, a pretty damn decent race. Yeah. They've got my uh, Motorsport 101 spirit of the race to crib um, awards from other sports car shows. <laughs> yeah, fair That enough. was really, really gutsy from them. I mm. love this. I like that we got to see proof of concept that this works. Uh, now that they've solved... We'll a- see. Yeah, because I was talking with Gustavo about this, and you'd be surprised to know that because of the drag coefficient this car is, the streamlined design, it's not actually that quick in a straight line, believe it or not. Yeah, they're actually one of the slowest hypercars in a straight line, despite the fact they've got no rear wing. Um, Aerodynamics are a normal art. Um, RJ. What's up, buddy? Do you hear that in the distance? Uh, before I ask you, before that, um, what what is seven? What is one thousand seven hundred and sixty feet? I don't know. You're gonna have to tell me. Yeah, because I don't know what the fuck a kilometer is either. Let's talk about Garage Fifty Sits, the star of the show. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, although I think pretty much everyone 
who could know does given how loud that fucking thing was going by other cars it was a brute <laughs> um it was pure violence it was ultra violence yeah for those who don't what did know, y'all make yeah go on, i mean go on. yeah i'll take this one for a little bit um yeah, for those who don't know, this was Garage 56. It's the one car category that uh, the ACO has provided for innovative and unique vehicles to take part. And if you'd missed the memo, Hendrick Motorsports, yes, that's Hendrick Motorsports, over from NASCAR, brought over a adapted version of their Chevrolet Camaro. <laughs> um, yeah, NASCAR Cup uh, Gen 7 car yep, with more um, horsepower. A yep. lot more horsepower, 750. Yeah. Whole 7, horses. 750 horsepower, a endurance style fuel tank, actual lights, a uh, carbon mo- uh, carbon monocoque chassis, uh, special tires by Goodyear for this event. Um, they basically decided, fuck it, what, let's see what a NASCAR stock car can do over an endurance race. <laughs> well, you Let know what just, it can do? It can do a lot. It can, it can out-qualify the entire GT field. Love that. Multiple seconds. <laughs> they earned, it can be yeah. free birding its way past LMP2s and traction zones. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I I love this. They had earned the right to start the race in front of the GTEs, um, and it had earned it, and it, it ended up with a top 40 finish. It was 39th in, in overall in the end. It would have been a bit better if it wasn't for that they blew a gearbox out right towards the end of the race. <laughs> Have you ever played the Freebird solo on shattered gear ratios and input shafts? <laughs> uh, well, this car, it's one of the most violent sounds I think I've ever heard a race car make on the upshift out of Indianapolis. Just oh, yeah. bolts in and a blender. Oh, my God. Sal- salute to Rick Hendrick for having the absolute galaxy brain to <laughs> even consider something as fucking crazy as this. Shout out to the whole team that did a remarkable job. And, you know, Jensen Button, Mike Rockefeller, and Jimmy Johnson were all superb. They all put in incredible stints to make that work. And you know what this was? It was fun. And you know yeah. what motorsport we needs sometimes? Some fun. It, it needs fucking fun. And everybody loved this thing. Everybody could appreciate what a remarkable effort this, this was from everybody that put this on. The open garage perspective. You know, and you know, Jeff Gordon was in tears at the end just because they were happy to see the flag, and he was down there, and everybody so you need loved to understand this thing. for those who, for those, because we're not really a NASCAR centric podcast, well, we do mention it from time to time. Sure, these cars do a maximum typically of six hundred miles. That being, of course, the Coca Cola six hundred. This car did over twenty four hundred. Incredible. Yeah, and which means it did the it did the combined distance of all four of NASCAR's Grand Slam races, and you still have enough time left over to tack on a short track race at a half mile oval on top of that. Yeah, and this being, of course, um, an engine that's pushing quite a bit more horsepower. It's a NASCAR based engine. They use a Chevrolet. Uh, it's a NASCAR. It's a pure racing engine they use over in NASCAR, but they're R07. Hmm. Um. Tuned up to 750 horsepower. They used to make 900. That's Those days are long gone, sadly. <laughs> um, you have to think as well, and this was an issue for the stock cars that came here in the 70s. I mean, these transmissions are meant to do a few dozen shifts per race, let alone per lap. Right. 
Um, so to be able to modify the car and use still all the basic guts, all of the, the, the bit, the main hard bits out of the stock car and to get it to last 24 hours, really one major mechanical failure. And they were able to fix it and get it back out there. Yeah. yeah. That is an incredible testament to the work. I mean, for those of you who watch NASCAR, you know what it's like when Hendrick Motorsports comes to town. Oh, yeah. There's a very good reason why we post the video every time they win. Your team got bullied by Rick Hendrick. Um, and in a very unfamiliar territory, not just for this car, right? Turns? That's goddamn communism. <laughs> uh, for that and for this team to show up and do as well as i mean they won the gt pit stop challenge technically yeah they did uh, ten, when they came over a 10.3 second stop <laughs> uh th- that is an incredible testament to the work that hendrick motorsports put in and hey a garage 56 entry actually finished this race sorry delta wing for oh. only the third time ever it joins both of Frederick Sose's LMP2 cars, which were not mechanically different so much, but they were modified to be accessible for quadriplegic. And in Sose's case, quad amputee drivers. Incredible. Those are the only other cars that from Garage 56 that finished the race until this car did 295 laps. And you know what? I didn't that grow too up. bad. I didn't grow up in the heart of NASCAR country in North Carolina, but I grew up close enough to it that if anyone talked about racing, they would always, almost always assume it was a conversation about NASCAR. At the Mm -hmm. highest peak of mainstream popularity the sport would ever achieve. So to me, a lot of the time when I see stock car racing or an American stock car, I don't really give it that much thought because in my mind, it just blends in the background. I see it all the time. But then I went to the public weigh-in held in the city center uh, before test day in the Mm. center of France. And of all the cars that attracted the most attention from fans, whether that's crowds coming to the car, people taking Mm. pictures of their cell phones, videos, etc. Other than for above every other car save for Maybe the Peugeot 9 at 8, and that's just because it's French. Nationalism, the that, baby. The car <laughs> that got the most attention was the Garage 56 Camaro. First of all, it's not a NASCAR because there is no such thing as a NASCAR, just as such there's no such thing as a Nintendo, unless you were referring to the original Nintendo console. Well, God damn it, I am, and I'm enjoying some Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 3, RJ. Yeah! On your rolling rocker with a bottle of rolling rock. Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> when. Okay. But when I saw that attention from a, from the predominantly French crowd, that's when it clicked with me just how cool this was going to be when it took to the track for testing, then for practice and for qualifying and then the race itself. Do you know some other cool things about this car? It never had any incidents on its own or with other cars from the first test session to the checkered flag. And you know what else was wild? When all that rain was coming down and you're thinking, gosh, how is this stock car going to cope with the rain? Tried its best. It It, it did. did struggle, but they kept it on the road. 
Jimmy Johnson, Mike Rockefeller, Jensen Button brought it home to the finish. I'm glad that Jimmy Johnson got to finish that race. I know he was not the quickest driver by any means, but I know what this meant to him to tick this off his personal bucket list and bring the car home as he's one of I the mean, greatest look, NASCAR drivers of all time. J- Jimmy Johnson has has competed now in two legs of the Triple Crown. Um, you know, Regardless of it, it, it is very rare in the modern times where a driver gets to do that. Yeah, especially after they've already had their whole career, in this case, being really goddamn good at NASCAR, <laughs> um, to the to the chagrin of pretty much everyone who wasn't a fan of his in the late twenty two thousands and early twenty tens. I, I couldn't um, bring myself to even mention yeah. that you know I was a I was a big Tony Stewart guy and didn't and that big Dale Jr. guy <laughs> was just so. Jimmy Johnson was so perfect back then, but, but you know but what? Yeah, I mean, we saw this. I mean, we saw this at the start of the two thousands when the Corvettes rolled around, and you think it's it's another gigantic engined American car coming to bully the GT class because, um, of course, the Viper reigned supreme there for so long mm-hmm. in the in the nineties. Back when we used to be a country. Back when yeah. back, back when we used to know what a kilometer a kilometer is. Yeah, but, something like that. And because the Corvette, when it came around and really, really came into its own in 2001, not only how different it was and how different it sounded because, ooh, a seven liter LS V8, but also Corvette racing giving itself to the French public when they came over and really integrating themselves into this race. And Hendrick and with this program, they really did a lot of the same and they were embraced for it. And I can only hope given really the incredible record GM leaves here with, with a three, four for Cadillac, a damn sight better than anything the North star LMP ever achieved here. And the Corvette win and the garage 56 car getting home. Maybe we see GM do more fun stuff here. I would love that. I would love to see him try. And we, and we, yeah, the, we didn't. The, we didn't even talk about Jack Aiken. <laughs> Maybe it's better we don't. No, no the, the less said about Jack Aiken's Le Mans, the better. What I would say is one more closing point. Um, they absolutely won the hearts of everybody down there at Le Mans. And if you look at NASCAR's Garage Fifty Six social media page, they said, "Where next?" I don't think this is going to be the last time we're seeing that car. I really, really hope that we see it or it's like again, wherever that is, whether it's on this continent or another. Um, I don't think there's a single person who got to witness this who wouldn't want that. 100%. I love it. I love it. In, in our heart of hearts, NASCAR won Lamar. And I need to correct myself because they're actually three thousand two hundred and eighty feet in a kilometer. Whatever it's the all right, fuck is. We still don't is. know what the fuck a kilometer is. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to wow. scream in my hotel room. I'm, I'm, to be fair, it's, norm- it's normally a very different sort of screaming in London hotel rooms these days. Um, oh Jesus Christ! God, I wish it, I wish I was Enough. that lucky. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. It's not this week in sports cars. I can, I can. <laughs> I could be I could be as horny on main as I want to be. Um so 
to close this out before we get too incredibly horny, <laughs> what other standout stories do you want to highlight from the 24 hours in the lot? Because I've got one in particular, and it goes back to our LMP2 winner. Absolutely. Because you may have mentioned it. Of all the LMP2 teams in the FIA World Endurance Championship, and by the way, this is a category that is going away from that series next year to prioritize a growing grid of hypercars. But of the yeah, teams we have in there have now. we garages next year here to facilitate all of them. Yeah. But of all the LMP2 teams we have in that series now, there are many that have connections to an upcoming hypercar program. WRT with BMW. Prima with Lamborghini, United Auto Sports with the perpetual tease of McLaren, Alpine with Alpine. But there's <laughs> Alpine's going to be. That was also announced this week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The uh, Alpine yeah. Stephen. Yeah, Stephen tried to. They tried to kick Stephen out of that reveal. By the way. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, we got. That he basically had to pull like, listen, I'm only one of five journalists that covers every round, so you're going to let us in, card. RJ, you spent your time in France, right? Yeah. What the fuck are they smoking over there where they think the Mecha Chrome Formula 2 engine right. is going to last 24 hours? Right. Because <laughs> that engine was heinous in LMP1 Privateer. I'm going to keep an open mind, but this isn't about that. This open is about mind the, like the open side of that block. I want to talk about the one team in LMP2 right now that doesn't have ties mm. to a future program, and that's inter-Europol competition. This is a team that is fronted by a Polish baking company that until February this year had been running an LMP2 for, every, for several years, never won a race until this February in Dubai, Dubai at the Asian Le Mans series. But this, by far, Pending the final scrutiny checks to confirm that this car is good to go, this is the biggest win that this team has ever had. They have won by mile on a stretch. This win was amazing for their owner driver Kuba Schmikowski, who was a true young amateur who stepped up his game massively since he started. It's huge for Albert Costa, an ex Lamborghini GT driver, who's. Probably got to be thinking, uh, giving Lamborghini some thought of who to fill out the rest of their hypercar roster with. But we cannot talk about interviewer poll competition winning this mm -hmm. race without talking about Fabio Shearer driving eight hours and 22-1 minutes of this race with an incomplete fracture and torn ligaments in his left foot. RJ, why is he driving with a hurt left foot? Well, because in the first safety car intervention during a pit cycle, the number 33 Corvette ran over Fabio Shearer's left foot. Fuck. <laughs> Dude was literally hopping all the way to the car from the garage. And is he sitting down on the side pond swinging his body down into the cockpit on one foot? This is one of those like Stanley Cup finals game seven dude is playing with like a broken leg, broken ribs, broken shoulder, like extremely Florida Panthers moment here, folks. Crack sternum. And not only does Sheer drive his minimum time, he relearns how to break in real time by putting by using the weight of his left leg instead of his injured foot and he closed out the race 
despite a drive-through penalty for an improper pit stop. I would never, ever recommend doing anything that crazy, but that's how just how much winning oh, this class or any class means for someone like Fabio Scherer and everybody at this team. Again, there's a recent update the- that you know parts got confiscated with the car. I really, really hope this holds up. Please let this hold up. Yeah, we we are awaiting final scrutineering for this race, and we have had disqualifications post race in the last five years here. Hi, G Drive. How's insolvency going? Oh, um, what's it? What's a G Drive? I'm not familiar. Um, well, uh, some, 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 about Logitech. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Just, just ask KCMG. Um, yeah, one of the true minnows in LMP2, and they just, they took the lead and never really looked back. Um, WRT, WRT tried with all their might with both cars, and they just never got there. Um, I will say, as far as my notes, by the way, regarding the Garage 56, it will be a Goodwood next. That's so if you go to the Goodwood Festival yes. Speed, you can see, you can witness and hear USS Big Thickums in person. Um, man, this new safety car procedure is better, but better is extremely relative. I do think this is a hell of a lot better than losing uh, teams randomly losing a minute to a minute and a half on the road because sucks to be you. You had to pit and then this caution came out. But I do think going forward, we definitely need to speed up the wave around and reorganization process for the grid because what the fuck? I, I will say, though, a lot of the safety car time was not spent trying to reorder the field. It was spent tending to broken barriers and tending to broken cars and potentially injured it drivers, was. you know, safety car stuff. It was, but then that's why we have code sixties for mainly the barriers. Yeah. The right. big one that I think was quite unavoidable was the death of the seven Toyota where it got ass packed by a pair of GT cars and an LMP two. Mm-hmm. Right. And what ended up happening is it it broke the it broke the left rear drive shaft. It destroyed both rear tires, so Kamui had no drive, and it broke the hybrid system <laughs> to the point where the car was not safe to handle. Kamui had to jump from the car again. Again, we've seen this image at Le Mans far too many times in the last decade, and it meant that they had to go and manually uh, recover the car and drain its battery so it was safe to handle. Because remember, carbon fiber is conductive. If you touch the ground and you touch the car at the same time, you become the ground. Uh... Or a few hundred volt hybrid system. So some of that was out of their control. Some of it, I think, could definitely be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, man... When you add water to Lamar, shit gets crazy. It does. We haven't had a real rainy Lamar in a long time. And don't be Jack Aitken. Um, Jack Aitken, um, bro, I love you. I appreciate you. You really... It wasn't it's the only one. It's a 24 hour race. It's lap one it and he's won. on a damp track. He's on a damp track, though. Lap and so was one, everyone else. Though. Yeah, like lap one. 
the, fir the, the first Molsan chicane you see, you put it in the fence. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I would have been less it's, mad if he bend it out of the second Molzon chicane. It's the fact that he bend it out of the... He bend it basically nine corners into the race. Um, and then bend it again later in the race. Action Express's race more or less lasted 40 seconds. Um, and incredibly, they were... Other than that, other than those two incidents, they were really... The caddies had no other major incidents. They just yeah. kept on rolling other than the two's oil consumption yeah. problem. Indeed. Or, uh, mechanical incidents. The three was a magnet for trouble. For me personally, um, a quick couple of minutes before I get out of here. Um, would you would you, would you, you ever think that Salba's 2018 and 2019 rosters have now thrown a combined no-hitter, a.k.a. triple crown? <laughs> um, oh my God. Kimi Raikkonen with a Monaco Grand Prix win, Marcus Ericsson with a 500 win, and now Antonio Giovinazzi has a Le Mans win. So we have a combined triple crown amongst the Salba 2018 and 19 rosters. But you're, you're forgetting two things, Dre. One, Kimi also has an F1 title, so it covers both definitions of the triple crown. Absolutely. And Charles Leclerc has a top 10 single in Uruguay to his name. And that is just Charles Leclerc and the terrible, <laughs> no good, very bad. Wait, y'all can win here, but I can't even sniff a podium. Charles Leclerc was was complimentary of Ferrari's hypercar effort through, I'm almost certain, gritted teeth. Um, as just a, a, swap, just swap them around. Just swap AF Corsa to Formula One, and we can all laugh at the Scuderia over in WEC. Perfect. I, I, I failed to see the problem here. Um, also, uh, again, shout out to Corvette winning their final race and uh, shout out to Big Ben Keaton. And anyone giving him shit for filming during the national anthem? Fuck you. Uh, honestly, uh, we've been through this. Honestly. Like, God, um, I didn't... I didn't talk about Colin Kaepernick on this show half a decade ago to go through shit like this again, first and foremost. Second of all, a big shout out on the salute to Iron Dames, who, yeah. I, I mean, it's it says a lot about how far they have come, where finishing fourth in class was seen as a genuine, heartbreaking, gut-wrencher of a result, given they, they led so much of that. Oh, they <laughs> lost it on needing a brake change on their last pit stop. Uh, yeah. Um, gut-wrencher. Um, that's that's Lamar for you. It is. Um, yeah. to, to that effect, um, Michael Fassbender became Michael Assbender. Hey, backed but, his car directly into a wall out of karting, which uh, I'm shocked they that car wasn't just completely snapped in half. Usually, yeah. when you go off there, it's a full safety car and a barrier rebuild. Yeah, to finish the point I was going to make on that real hmm. quick, um, genuinely gutted and heartbroken for Iron Dames, who were leading the vast majority of that GTE class. Um, it it goes to show you how far they have come where that is a genuine gut-wrencher of a result yeah. for them. But the fact that still only five women started this race out of 186 says to me also how far we still have to go. Oh, okay. right. Without question. Um, could you have imagined 25 years ago that General Motors, who had a legendarily wishy-washy approach to sports car racing, really any factory racing outside of NASCAR, which isn't factory racing, but 
big air quotes on that when one of the cars is sponsored by General Motors. Mm. Could you imagine that they would have brought not only a podium achieving prototype, a class winning GT car, and the most fun car here all in the same race? I love it. I really, really hope GM continues. We know with that they're bringing Corvette racing is more or less getting converted into what Audi sport has been for GT three, where they become the support, the support network for the customers who get to run that car. I I hope we see some of them. I hope we see some next year. I do like that. I think we will. Um, I think yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a mixed opinion of it because like I do feel like no one team should be bigger than the sport in some sense, but it is going to be the end of an era. It is going to be a tough change. And I just hope that they have customers that are willing to continue that tradition. I have oh, no given, doubt that they will. Yeah, given the quality of the look, Pratt and Miller produce good cars. They always have. I don't have any reason to think that that's going to change in building their first GT3 car in a hot minute. Shout out to Rexy for, well, leading a whole bunch of this race and then issue on the right rear just kind of canned any shot they had at the win. The the I'm going to eat you car of the Rexy <laughs> following... Following the the battleship that was the Garage Fifty Six Camaro, hundred percent meme formats, <laughs> memes for years to come. <laughs> should, should I put a needle bow on this now? Yes, <laughs> given, I think we should. Given we've, given think... we've got about ninety minutes here, um, which yeah. I've absolutely loved. By the way, um, what a race! What an experience! Um, and. One more time at the top, congratulations to Ferrari. And the, we cannot stress enough how important this was for motorsport that Ferrari had their most significant moment in Formula One in probably 15 in years. In, in, and even that 2008, remember, it's easy to forget. They won the they won the constructors championship in Formula One in two thousand and eight, but nobody no, cared. Nobody gave a shit because we were all just universally gut punched by Felipe Massa missing out on the world title by a single point. Is that um, clock? Motorsport is better when Le Mans is good. It is it is better when Le Mans is good, and it is better when Ferrari is competitive. It means something when Ferrari is good. It means something when Ferrari wins. The world was watching, and at the first attempt in 50 years, Ferrari are back. And that's pretty cool indeed, if I do say so myself. Places you can find us one more time are on motorsport101.com. All of our details are on there. If you want some extra thoughts from me, check out the blog section. You can follow us on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. You can follow us on Instagram at motorsport uh, 101 pod as... Uh, I love the Porsches that are currently in Cam's actual window yeah, box my, uh, for a second there. Love that. <laughs> Nigel, you know, if you wanted a guest start on the show, you could have just asked. Yeah, just next time. We've got plenty of room for you, Nigel, next time. But uh, also, we're to find our personal handles. You can at Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ O'Connell. Please check out his content over there as well. And, of course, C Buckley 917 for Cam. We'll be back to do some cleaning I have a nickname sometimes. It's the janitor because we're going to clean up a little bit of the motorsport we haven't covered in a couple of weeks. Um, okay, spoiler alert. We 
couldn't justify doing a MotoGP race on Italy. You'll, you'll see why in the next episode. Just, just trust us on this one. So we'll get into that. And we'll get into a catch-up on Formula E's last three rounds because there's a lot and also not much to discuss there too. Um, But uh, until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. And until next time, Forza Ferrari. Sayonara. (laughs) This space is reserved in honor of the man, the myth, the legend, Dick Trickle. If you know, you know. Later, y'all. not hear this 333 sp retconning that everyone's been doing for three weeks it was a great car in forza motorsport 2 it's fine it's the car that saves sports car racing in the united states forza 2